Hello, everyone. Before we start the show, we'd like to announce our new partnership with Therese Eyewear. Therese specializes in Polaroid glasses for outdoor folks like us that won't break the bank. Now, they have many styles to choose from, whether you're biking, jogging, playing sports, or like us on the water all day where we need to keep that sun glare down to catch fish. Now, with a lifetime warranty, 60-day fitment replacement, saltwater corrosion, and scratch resistance, how much can you add, more can you ask for? Therese has something to offer for everyone. Now, don't forget to use our coupon code TIDECHASERS at checkout on their website at therese.com. That's T-O-R-E-G-E.com for a 20% off discount for all our listeners. Now, let's get on with the show. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where every week we try and bring something new to the table and help the listeners out there become a better angler, not either by bringing on charter captains, uh, guides, avid anglers, lure builders, tackle shops, and pretty much uh, anyone that's like-minded and just are just generally fishery people. Uh, on today's episode, we are going to be interviewing one of our own co-hosts, as he has pretty much in the last two to three seasons successfully dialed in this technique. And if done correctly, this technique is very deadly for fluke or flounder, as you'd like to call it, or as well as many other species. He'll talk about the other species he's caught off the using this technique. Now, enough of me rambling. Let's bring on our buddy, Dan. What's going on, bud? What's up, man? What's up? Yeah, man, the the, uh, the single jig. I didn't invent it, but man, I, I, I love living in it, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a it's a technique that I've heard of. I've watched a few YouTube videos, a couple guys doing it. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're gonna get into it and see, you know, exactly what's it all about. Now, you know how we always start our episodes with a little background, but I think most of us know everyone knows your your background in fishing history. But let's uh let's we actually want to know what got you into fluke fishing though. So I'll I'll like kind of rewind to uh probably it's either I want to say 2017, 2018. You know, before those years or so, I was doing it like hit and miss on vacation from kayak and I enjoyed it. But then, you know, I started talking to Chris McEntee, you know, Sea Money, and he was doing really well, uh, but he was doing it fairly differently than I noticed anybody else doing it. He was doing, you know, the single jig or the single bucktail. A lot of times, you know, we had a lot of conversations where he was saying, man, you know, the single jig is out producing anything no teaser no this no that just keep it real simple with the single jig now we we really uh, i would say 2018 was my first real big season doing that and that was with like the swimming mullets and grubs and things like that but you know it's kind of progressed into now you know the jerk shads have become the the hot topic in this world in this world that we're in with the single jig so it's kind of you kind of seen it grow from from a couple little whispers to now it's everywhere yeah but i mean just just the technique is something new to me and then you've you forget so i mean would you say that you probably kind of heard or seen this technique first used by uh mcatee uh sea money yeah yeah like i said he he does it a lot differently than what is what was more popular today you know he's kind of like he's kind of like myself he'll he would pull up to like a side bank and fish off the side banks and things like that whereas um a lot of what you're seeing today you know, it's going to be your beachfront fishing, your bay beachfront fishing, things like that. So, you know, whereas he was doing it differently, there's a guy like uh, like Mark, Mark Chan, you know, uh, Shore Money Fishing. He's he's kind of taken it and made it his own with these jerk shads. And really, you know, the the, the two the two systems together and you kind mm. of think about the science behind it and 
all of the other factors. And it's just really a, the technique in itself is once you learn it, man, it's, it's so rewarding because it really works, man. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen a couple of Mark's videos and it's the, the technique is very unique. His is a little bit, a little bit different than Chris's technique, but he explains it really well. The whole like pendulum effect and like rods and reels are very important in this technique because if you don't have the right setup, it won't work. That's 100% true. Like uh, the funny thing is when I first started doing this, I was fishing with like a broomstick. I was fishing with a with a St. Croix Tidemaster. And if anybody knows those original, like the green yep. Tidemasters, the dark green, you know, it's a good rod, but it's like, it's rated to a, an ounce and a quarter. And it literally was a broomstick. So I was catching fish, but it was more of a default type thing. Yeah. So as I learned more about this whole process, I realized that, hey, you know, while the baits and the tackle and this and that are important, it's really the rod is the single most important piece of uh, fishing, the, the single most important piece in this whole game of uh, the single jig, really. So, right. So well, finally, in your opinion, why do you think, like, why do you think this technique is so much more deadly than say like a chicken rig or even just throwing a teaser on top? Cause for me, every time I fish, say off the jetty, off the beach or whatnot for fluke, I've always been, it's either been, you know, a small bucktail with a teaser on top, or I, I rig up a chicken rig. If, for those that don't know what a chicken rig, it's literally like a, a one, two ounce weight on the bottom, double dropper loop up top. And then you throw, usually, we usually throw like, uh, like two swimming mullets up top. And then you literally just kind of jig it back to, you know, you toss it out and then you just kind of slowly jig it back to you. So in, in reality, what it does is it's dangling these uh, swimming mullets on top of the water and the fluke sees it from the bottom and swims up and hits them. So, so the, let me just say that there, there is a time and place for every technique, right? Mm-hmm. So that chicken rig technique, I mean, you guys got a friend, Austin uh, and Aaron, and you guys absolutely crushed with that chicken rig through, you know, through the inlets. Yeah. Especially that, Johnny, Johnny too. Johnny kills on that chicken like rig. That, that is a, that, it, that is something that you can't do another technique really through there. So like, like you're saying, like there's a lot of different techniques, but they all have their time and place. So the single jig technique, you're really capitalizing on um, what would look like disoriented bait. Like you're really just capitalizing on those fish that are in tight to, to you to in tight to the, to the lip beach, the beach lip that are feeding off of disoriented bait that are just getting rolled around in the wash. So with that being said, this, this kind of technique isn't really, optimal for everywhere like it's right. it's not going to work as well like from a boat it's not going to work as well like off the side banks will you catch fish sure absolutely but the the, the design is for it to mean it's it's really fluttering around in those waves as they're rolling around with the bait and and it's just really capitalizing on those fish that are in inches of water right so pretty much you you led us into the leeway for the next section anyway so um so let's start off with like, like what type of waters are you fishing? You know, water structure, you know, water clarity, temps like that. Would this technique start working out? And I, I'm assuming we talked, you talked, you said it was beachfront. So assuming yeah, so, all this is mostly beachfront fishing, right? So, yeah, I mean, like you have your bay beaches and your, your oceanfront beaches, mm-hmm. you know, that some of them can have, depending upon where you're at in the state, some of them can have very similar structure. Um, what you're looking for uh, with the single jig technique, like I still fish a single jig when I'm in the back bay, but current and structure is going to determine what I'm throwing and how much weight I'm throwing. Sometimes, you know, you're going to, you're not going to be able to get away with, 
you know, a quarter ounce or an eighth ounce in some of these back base spots. The current just doesn't allow it. Um, so I'll have to upsize to three eighths. You know, a lot of times I'll go up to three eighths in the back bays, you know, the side banks, I'll, I'll throw swimming mullets and, and curly tails, different baits. So when I make my way out front, like you asked, the single jig there, you know, it's I'm tossing quarter ounce jig heads, sometimes eighth ounce jig heads just into the wash, you know, just kind of tap around in the wash. Um, and then I'll, I'll just kind of fan cast from there. Like I'll, I'll, I'll work the inside area a little bit tighter to me. And then I kind of fan cast out, you know, and like what I look at is like 10 yard sections. You know, I kind of break down the water like that. But for this single jig with the jerk shag bite, you're really looking for beach structure that has a very drastic drop from the lip. You know, it has a very distinct drop from the lip, almost like a, a rolling effect to the lip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can I can name 10 different beaches right now. And it's not, you know, a lot of people think of, oh, Sandy Hook. Well, that's that's one. Sure. But you got LBI, you got uh, parts of Townsend's Inlet, parts of Corson's Inlet. There's different parts of the state where you can bring the single jig bite to without without an issue. So I'm assuming with you turn 10 yards ish. So we're not, we're literally never casting past that first bar. So you're fishing the trough, essentially the trough, the wash. Yeah. So, so you, you say that first bar, there's sometimes I'll wait out to that first bar and I'm fishing inside the bar inside. So you're, I'm, you're, you're, so you're, you're waiting to the bar and casting towards the beach and working it back correct, out. Correct. Okay. I'm finding fish inside. And you know, like if you have the, the, I guess the, uh, the will to get out there that sometimes those sandbar bites, like you could literally get a, a bite every cast. It's amazing. Like you find a break in a sandbar. If you can wait out to a sandbar, I'm just telling you right now, you toss that single jig out there with that jerk shadow in there. It's going to be a lot of fun for a while. I can literally see you walking that bar when it's at yeah. low tide and literally just like lowering it and just walking yeah. along the bar, just yeah. taking it up and down. It's and amazing. They're it's sitting amazing. right at, they're sitting right off that drop. Yeah. So you have like, if you think about a sandbar that's out there in front of you, right, you're going to have, any point where the water just breaks through that sandbar where it just happens. So that point where that water breaks through that sandbar is going to create a cut around those little points on each side, that little trough that just sits there, they just sit there all day long and just feed like, and I do this like, you know, we talk about types of things you look for. I'll go out every tide and walk the beach just to see where I'm going to fish later on in the day. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, I'm going to, take my rod and my reel out to the beach and, you know, start throwing around. There's, there's a lot of science behind it too. And we, we had these conversations and you're like, I don't know. I just pick it up and fish. And I'm like, no, there's a lot more to this whole process. If you really break it all down. I mean, is, does it really determine a good air area compared to a bad area? Like, like how do you even pick your areas besides what you're saying that you, you kind of early scout out at low tides just to check the areas? Honestly, it's a lot of striking out. Like unless you know distinctly that the beach that you're going to be fishing that day has that, you know, that, that cupping to the edge of the beach slip or that significant drop off, you're kind of walking in blind, you know, you could still find places to fish. Um, but it's, it's really that, that drastic drop off within a couple feet of the, uh, the, the beach slip that really makes it. Cause again, we all know that's where the bait gets disoriented and gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And then while it not just be fluke and flounder, you know, you got striped bass sitting there, whether it be feeding on sand fleas or other baits, you know, it's just a, a bonanza of bait just sitting there for them to, to pluck off and uh, it's, it's easy money. So you just toss your bait in there and hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, did every day changes and tides changes, but like, have you noticed in the past maybe season or two, 
a big difference in tides, the bite wise or no? Yeah. I mean, like I, I try and time. So, so when you're fishing that light beach front, you know, I try and tide, we talked about this the other day, there's this thing called tidal coefficient and it really uh, will determine how much water's moving through an area in a period of time. Um, so you'll have your lower tidal coefficient days. That's something that, you know, as kayakers pay attention to because it, it kind of um, really pushes, pushes you around when you're on the water if there's these strong tides, as you well know. Same thing goes into effect whenever you're fishing from the beach when there's a strong tide. You know, the, the, whole, the whole science behind why this works is you need to make some bottom contact. With a quarter ounce jig, maybe some wind, and then these strong tides, you really either got to A, be really good about positioning yourself within the tide to, to make it work, or B, time your fishing around tides. Like I like to fish lower coefficient days, which will be a little bit further away from your high, your, your full moons. Your high, higher tidal coefficient days kind of are around the, the fuller moons. So have I had success doing it around full moons? Yes. You know, if you can find a day where the wind matches up and, and things like that, where you have some help pushing your bait down to the bottom, you know, that that's a factor. But if I have my way, there's certain things I look for every time I go out. Gotcha. Good explanation of all that. Most definitely. So preferably what's your favorite tide? Honestly, yeah. I like low tide, low tide. I like, I like low tide, low tide. Um, probably like the last, last two hours of the outgoing um, because you get to see everything and mm -hmm. you still can catch fish if you know what you're doing like like for example low tide you can get out to that sandbar pretty easily well the bite still is going to be out there yeah. whereas closer to the beach lip the fish are going to move off the beach lip as that water gets shallower so you can still chase you still chase the bite down but it's a lot more fun that way you know trying to pick out where they'll be you know i just kind of try and but I mentioned that the most important piece of equipment you have is your rod, but probably the second most important piece of equipment is going to be your optics. Mm -hmm. You know, the right, the right, the right optics kind of help you pick out the water you want to fish. Like right now, you know, you'll have some fish sitting in tight, but then as the water warms up, the deeper water is where they're going to be sitting. So you want to find that deeper patch of water. And even if you're fishing a stretch of 200 yards of ocean in front of you, you know, you'll see different colorations of the water to be able to pick out where it might be a little bit deeper and you might want to toss through there. It's just that it's, you know, reading the beach and, and having the right gear is is 99% of the battle. Would you say low tide might be a little bit easier to fish for them? Same because since the water is pushed out, they're not against the lip. They're going to be sitting in deeper pockets. Well, so you, you tend more, would it sort of would conjugate them a little yeah, bit more. You, you tend to find them, um, you, you tend to find them, more concentrated in those areas where the water is deeper at that point like you could reasonably find five to six fish you know in that 18 to 20 inch range within five feet of one another mm -hmm. they're all so just that, in that, that would have been my next have you ever, ever ran into that incident where it was low tide you kind of had an idea where they were and you literally kept casting to the same hole and pulling out five six seven eight fish out of that one little pocket i had a i had a day last year where a 17 straight cast i caught a fish 17 straight casts. Like once you get the, like, like, in, and, and I'm sure if we're able to ever able to get Mark on here and some other guys doing it, once you're able to identify the piece of water that makes sense and you have success there, you can replicate that everywhere up the beach. Cause it's going to be the same, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to be the same idea. You know, I, I often say like, I run into nobody cause it's a grueling task, right? Yeah. 
you know, I'll, I'll look at I have my Apple watch. A lot of times it'll die halfway through, but I'll put, the, it's not out of the question for me to put 15, 20 miles in a day. You know, if I'm putting in a, a strong day of fishing, so it's not for everybody. It's grueling, you know, but, but it, you can still have success and walk right on if you know what you're looking for. That's the biggest thing, you know, definitely. I mean, it's definitely not for me. And I know that for a fact, you know, this, this fat guy's not walking <laughs> down that beach 15 miles, no freaking possible way. But you know what I mean? Sometimes it's just the enjoyment of the hunt, right? It's always for us. It's always the hunt. Yeah. I mean, like, so, so you have these hunches, right? You go out, you, you, you have these hunches of, well, if that worked, why wouldn't this work? Or if I found something here, why wouldn't I find something there? So you're always kind of like testing your theories while you're going along. Like, okay, so I was wrong there. That didn't work. Or, hey, that one worked out. So yeah, like once you get into the habit of finding the fish, then you start tweaking your game down to like the most finite, the most minute details. And it, at that point, it's just, it's maddening, right? You yep. start end up buying five and six hundred dollar rods. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> All right, cool. So me and you already agreed. We talked about this. That tackle <laughs> is um pretty much the most important piece of the puzzle for this uh, technique, and you want to make sure we cover it super well. Uh, let's talk about your previous setups or setups you've seen other people use, and then we're talking to your brand new setup. So, like I said, I started out with a, a Tide Master uh, Saint Croix Tide Master. It's like a seven foot Tide Master, mm -hmm. medium heavy medium heavy at the time. So I obviously had no clue what I was doing. Medium heavy. Uh, I started fishing for that. I was catching some fish, but I'm like, hmm, this doesn't feel very good. It's fatiguing. So my, my idea was I kept downsizing and downsizing weight wise on the rod and the reel, but wasn't sacrificing, you know, my, the power and everything. And obviously once you get into like some of these Shimano Stratics and, and things like that, and Daiwa has a nice line of reels that are lightweight, but powerful that are great for this mm -hmm. kind of fishing. You want it you want it to be the, the biggest thing I found is I'm, I'm putting 14, 15 miles on body on my body. I also want to be able to make, make sure I can continue to do so. So, you know, I, I downsized my gear to the lightest possible setup that I could. I think I'm under 10 ounces for my rod and reel together. And I started out probably somewhere like got 18, 19 ounces. I was throwing uh, like, I had a old uh, 13 fishing reel I was, I was throwing. And, you know, you see a lot of people out there fishing with a lot of different things and still catching fish. It, it really is about what makes sense for you. I have bad elbows. I have arthritis in my elbows. I have bad everything, as you guys know. So I'm going to do everything I can to lessen the load. You know, if I can carry this light feather rod around and I can toss that around all day and it's not fatiguing me, then I, I can maybe go an extra two or three miles and maybe find a couple more fish. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, it's all about stamina guys. Like not, I mean, the setup we use might not be perfect for you. You might find your perfect setup. You know, Mark uses a totally different setup than any of us. You know what I mean? Everyone has their setup for you. It's just more like you got to figure it out what it is. Put a rod in your hand, put a reel, put the combo together. And then just imagine you casting that about six, 700 times in a day. Yeah. You know, then you're pretty much, and if you think you get, your arms won't fall off by the end of the day, you're good to go. Yeah. I, I mean, we've all had those that, that I call it tennis elbow. We call it casting elbow over here in the fishing world, you know, where, you know, you're tossing around all day and you get that soreness. This, the, you know, if you have the right gear and, and you, everything's properly balanced and everything else, you know, that should take some of that out of the equation. And I feel like I'm finally there after three years of tweaking. So nice. 
So now with we can your talk help, about, of course. Yeah, yeah, we're getting. Yeah, now we're gonna get. Now we're <laughs> now we're gonna talk about your current setup and especially the rod because uh, I may have a little helping hand in this selection and then we'll jump into reels. But yeah, let's uh, let's tell the viewers how you how you feeling about this rod. Yeah, so I'm very easily influenced, right? But uh, my buddy Trung can speak on that one because he's influenced me into many uh, snakehead purchases that were out of my realm of thinking at the point at that time. Mm -hmm. So, but. But no, like uh, last year I was using what I felt was a nice light setup, right? So it was this Shimano Intenza. It was like a graphite glass blend, very light rod. Um, and I did well with it. I mean, I, you guys saw, I, I, caught, I caught plenty mm -hmm. of fish last year. I think um, it didn't start out very well, but then it, I it picked up as I went. But, you know, I was using, a, I think a 2,500 Stratic or a 3,000 size Stratic. So it's like six ounces, something like that. 6.7 ounces, I think that reel is. And then the rod was about five ounces. So that was about 11 ounces altogether. And I, I did well with that. You know, I, could, I had good sensitivity, but I, I always, you know, you always got this feeling like I want more. I want something else. You know, I want a little bit length, a little bit longer length. So with the way you're fishing these light, these light jigs, you know, you want to feel the bite soon enough to be able to get the right kind of hook set with that tip, with the tip of the rod. So really the rod sensitivity is literally the most important part of this whole process, because I think I said this on, on one of our group chats, like this, this new rod I'm fishing with, it's like, I was invited through the back door and the fish didn't even know I was there. Like, it's like, it's, it's just like that. I'm feeling bites way before than I ever did. You know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling parts of the bottom, feeling structure and everything like I never have before. And, and it's, it, the numbers don't lie. I mean, I, I, I've had a pretty incredible start to the season where I've seen a lot of people are struggling. So right now what I'm using, I have a, a Century Demon seven foot, six inch rod that was uh, built by Advanced Fishing US, USA in, uh, in Avalon. Um, I got it from Chris, one of our former uh, guests on the show from uh, Tight Lines in, in Summers Point. Amazing, man. That guy's amazing. I got to say, he's been my guy. He's hooked me up. Um, but yeah, so I was in the, I was actually in his shop, um, looking at these century rods and I was, I was looking, I had, I was dialed in on the weapon junior mag taper for what I wanted to do. And then one of, one of his guys come over, he goes, man, you ever see this thing? He starts, he picks up the demon, starts whipping it around. I'm like, now that kind of looks like what I want my rod to do. I'm like looking at him, like whipping this little rod down. I'm like, wait a second, can I hold that rod? And mind you, this rod was never on my radar, the Demon. And this thing, I got to say, it's rated like one thirty seconds of an ounce to, to an ounce. And it is it's seven foot six. And I have it paired with a Shimano Van Ford 3000. So all together that, that, that setup, you know, with line and a, and a, and a lure on, it might be 11 and a half ounces. And it's, it's so powerful. It's like a, like a toothpick, man, that the rod, it's just so much fun. Yeah. So for those that don't know, just, just for the ratings for the central, <coughs> especially the, the seven six that he has, it's rated. If you hold the rod, you wouldn't think it's rated for that. But once you hold the rod, it's rated for one thirty seconds, right. Of an ounce up to one ounce. So we have our, our buddy, George Bucci, who's been on this uh, podcast before. That's his favorite rod for the back bay. He throws up to one and a quarter ounce spooks in the back for bass. And then, but then he, you could switch right up and take that rod and catch bluegill, white perch. It's, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a rod that pretty much you can carry it through almost anything. I, uh, I, I got, I, I've said this to you. I said it to Chris, I said, that rod is an absolute dream in my hand, man. 
And I have you to thank for that. Cause you kind of, you kind of put me in that direction. I had, like I said, that rod was not on my radar. I was looking at the weapon junior mag taper, uh, the seven foot 10 inch, which I'm also getting that one's coming waiting for that one. But yeah, that not on my radar. And then, the, then one of his guys came over and started like whipping it around. I'm like, Holy crap. That looks like exact, like I, you could see it. Like when you, when you see it, you know, like when you see a tip, do what you need it to do, you know, like, yep. It's really the, the sensitivity of the rod tip is literally everything when it comes to this kind of fishing. Yeah, everything. So if you're if you're a finesse fisherman, this is the rod for you. Now, if you're the if rod. you're if if you're down there, say down south, right, where you fish a lot, and you're yeah. you're, you're throwing for specs, right? You're throwing for specs, so you could throw soft plastics all day, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you feel like you want to switch to a, a mirror lure, like a miradine. You could throw a miradine, yeah. same rod. You don't have to switch rods yeah. or anything like that. It, it has the sensitivity to work to twitch that muridine, but at the same time has the sensitivity to throw that, you know, that one sixteenth, that one eighth, that quarter ounce jig head with the with the paddle tail for specs. Amazing. And I haven't the, had a the, chance to really open it up and, yeah. and try it on any big fish. I think the biggest thing that I, I've messed around with it on so far was like a five, six pound bluefish, which was a blast. You know, yeah. even me, yeah. even me, who's the 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 bluefish, no, no, no. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. No, it's the 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 pa the power behind that twig that I'm holding in my hand it's amazing yeah. to me amazing yeah. and the the best part of this rod it it's, it it covers a lot of ground a lot of species but at the same time if you were to hook say a big decent slot red right something up into like twenty plus inches red right it's going to handle it we have a guy in Hawaii that uses this for bonefish. so he throws the demon for bonefish too and it's handle it he said it's a little underpowered. But he says he doesn't have an issue with it. But he said he said he may move up to a, a weapon junior. But he said he he doesn't have no issues with like bonefish. So yeah, I mean that that rod sold me on the lineup pretty much. Now I'm switching pretty much all my rods over. But yeah, I mean like when it, when it comes down to it, when when I'm talking about you know basically when you're when you're working this single jig and you have it on the bottom, and you're just twitching it, barely twitching it. And when you can lift the rod up an inch and you feel weight on there, th this rod has the power to go from there to hook set in seconds where that's what you need. That's like, you can't, you don't have time to sacrifice when you have that fish laying there on your lure. Whereas on my old rod, I would have to wait till I felt the second bite. Like that I'm feeling these fish before they, they want me to, I'll, I'll put it that way. I mean, I think I, I, what is it? It's June 21st and I've caught 38 legal fish so far on that rod um all of which I, i'm sorry 37 i got one from my kayak that was not on that rod everything else has pretty much been on that rod very nice that's all we like to hear man we love to hear the guys that try out the new rods i'm loving to death you know um, I, I can't wait i and this isn't a sales pitch for century i just like i i think it's been the single most it's been the biggest upgrade to to my gear that's really changed my ability to, to put more fish on the, on, you know, on the sand, really. I, I think it's, mm. it's been the one thing that I changed. I've had the reel, I've had the gear, you know, I use the eye strike jigs. Yeah. They fit perfectly with the jerk jerk shads for me. I know there's a lot of other competition out there. I think um, I was fishing with one of my buddies and he was using the uh, Dante's uh, the magic tail kill shots. And they actually, yeah. they actually fit real nice with the jerk shads too. So, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, they don't have an eye on them. So I can go out on a limb and recommend them, you know, with my, my, uh, eye strike jerk, uh, jig heads, but yeah, those kill shots, Dante's making a, a good, uh, a good jig head for the jerk shots there for sure.
Sounds good, man. All right. Well, at least we cover the rods. Uh, in the next few episodes, I'm we're gonna go a little deeper into the rods. So the, I'm gonna br- I'm gonna bring <laughs> on I'm gonna bring on Century, and we'll 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 really yeah. break down rod by rod. So uh, so let's move on to the reels. Like, um, how important is the reel? Do you think it's that much of important the, in the rod? The reel is important because a you need it to be powerful, but you also need it to be lightweight. So yeah. You have companies like Shimano and Daiwa that are putting out like these uh, these lightweight reels that are extremely powerful. Like that that Shimano Vanford, it's um, four point seven ounces, I think. Mm, it's it has, right yeah. has uh, 24, 24 pounds of drag. And that what more do you need than that? Like when you're when you're using that rod with that reel, if you need more than that, you're you're out of your league anyway. So. Um, but yeah, so I'm using the Shimano Van Ford with the Demon and um, my line. I, I think I use a 15-pound uh, Coastal Camo Suffix uh, 832 as my main line. And then I use the Alberto Knot um, to tie to uh, 12-pound fluoro. I've been using the Red Label, uh, 12, uh, the Red Label Seaguar 12-pound fluoro as my fluorocarbon. Okay, so it's a, it's a direct, direct yes. Alberto from... Uh, uh... Yeah, pass, to floral, right? through the, and and if you've seen this demon if you would get the if you get the knots through the eyelets you're going to want to cry because it's so these eyelets are so small so it's like if if you do end up passing it they're not small enough to get through the eyelets which is good you know some of these connection knots are pretty bulky uh, i like the fg knot i like the alberta knot i can just tie the alberta knot probably a, like eight to ten cents 10 seconds quicker than the fg so I often lean on that one. So you said you were on about 15 pound braid, right? Um, Would you benefit anything moving down to 10 or you think 15 is kind of like the safe, kind of like the safe zone? See, I don't know. I've, you you know me, I'm always tweaking this and tweaking that. So what's the next things I can do? I have, I have what I all, I would say is the perfect setup rod and reel for, for me anyway, you know, it may not be for you. You may love Daiwa and that's fine. You know, but for me, for what I'm doing. And, and I, I say this and Chris, if he listens, he's probably sitting back chuckling because I, I said, I said, Chris, don't judge me, but if you ever get that seven ten demon in, call me, I want to hold it. I, I, I say the seven six is per seven, six is perfect for me, but I kind of want to hold that seven ten just because you get that little extra, a little extra tip to make a hook set that that'll never hurt anything. But yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I feel like I finally have, I've been searching for it for four years, but I finally have the setup honed in. So at this point you're tweaking tackle, you're tweaking, you know, uh, line and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that might be the next thing that I tweak is going down in weight online because, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I, I'm fishing finesse. I don't need this bulky line. I'm fishing mostly within the 20 yard patch in front of me. So you know, you, do you take the chance on having a fish out muscle you if you're fishing down south for redfish potentially? But at that point, then that's that's on you as the angler at that point. You got to find a way to finesse them. So, yeah, I, I think that could be a tweak that you might see, you know, where I, I'll go down on line uh, on the leader first, probably, and then the main line and go from there. Yeah, I mean, it's not like your setup can't handle big fish. I mean, you have that ginormous black, that heartbreaking black drum up in the hook. But last season, I think, right? I'll tell anybody where that was. Yes, yeah. yeah I, the hook is huge. It could be anywhere. Yeah, I, I did. I, and that was not even on this rod. I would actually feel more confident with that fish on this rod than the yeah. rod I was using. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, it's it's not about power. It's not about the, the knots because my knots are good, obviously, in that situation. 
it really comes down to tweaking the, the little details, which we all do. You know, when you think you got everything figured out, why not go in and mess it up and do something different, right? Just to just to test yourself. Yeah. Uh, don't. What, what does our saying go? Don't fix nothing that's not broken, right? Yeah. Yeah. But 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 we as perfectionists like to tweak know, things. We, yeah, every little thing. Things like because you'll say, "Oh, I missed that bite. I wonder if it's because of this. I wonder if it's because of that." Mm-hmm. So you start you start playing these games, and we all do it. Any kind of person that that has this lifestyle that does what we do. We all do it. We all sit here and beat ourselves up over the fish we meet and we miss over as opposed to congratulate ourselves for the fish we catch. I do it all the time on the boat. You know, yeah. like we'll be, it'll be an all out crazy bite bass. We know they're hitting metal lips, right? So everyone's throwing metal lips and then yeah. they're crushing it. I'll be the one that digs in my bag and pulls out something weird. I'm like, I'm just going to see if I can get one on yeah. this. You know yeah, what you I mean? Gotta challenge yourself. Always. It's always fun to throw something out there that's, that you don't expect. Uh, for example, I just bought, um, seven inch jerk shad so yeah you know with that setup am i am i throwing too big of a bait with that setup uh, no i don't think so it's it's gonna it could it's it's really gonna determine how it feels with the rod tip if i if it makes sense but you know it, 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 it we're always doing things to to see if we can catch more fish or you know we're always like you say that bite you're in the middle of that bite but you're probably thinking about the fish you caught you missed 30 minutes ago even though you're in the middle of a hot bite Yep. You always are trying to figure out how to get yourself better. If you're not, then, you know, then you're, this really is, you're just doing this for food or whatever it may be. But I, I like the sport of it. I like the mind games. I like all of it. It's, it's a lot of fun. All right. Well, this, this next part's a little tricky because it all really depends on the, the weather, the tide, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But typically what weight jigs heads are you throwing? So right. Uh, my, my, the bulk of what I'm throwing is quarter ounce. Quarter ounce. Okay. Bulk of what I'm throwing is quarter ounce with those six inch jerk shads. Um, I have some one eighths ounce uh, that I, I actually caught, caught fish, caught keepers on the other day, which I, I came home and told you guys I didn't realize fishing one eighth ounce when I was by fishing accident. On. It was all by yeah. accident. Yep. I was accidentally fishing one eighth ounce. But yeah, I mean, the that that's a situation where that tidal coefficiency comes into play, right? Yeah. So if the water's not moving as fast and you have a a lighter wind, you could get away with a lighter jig. Lighter jig is always going to produce better action out of that lure. That's just a fact. The, the, the more flutter you can get out of that jerk shad, the better. So if you can get away with downsizing to an eighth inch jig head that has the right hook shank on it for, you know, what you're trying to catch, then by all means, try it because it's only going to help you. It's only going to get you better action out of your, out of your lure, really. Now, are you looking for that current swing though? Like, and we know every every ocean, every beachfront, there's always a swing, either left to right, right to left. Now, is this is that swing beneficial for this technique or not? Uh, with me being so, I'm left-handed, right? So I real left hand, I, I I real left-handed. So I prefer the swing going. I guess if, if people are looking in their head um if left, you look if, if you're standing on the beach yeah if you're standing on the beach looking out into the ocean you yeah so, so if everybody's considering like left to right you're looking at the ocean i just naturally from my hook set i come off to the side i like the, the the swing left to right so you know from the left to the right however doesn't matter no it doesn't um you just got to find a way to position yourself where you're making optimal contact with the bottom and it's not just a thump. You want it to kind of swing and just gradually get there, but you want to feel it there. Probably, I like it to be between eight and ten seconds, depending upon how deep I'm fishing. So, 
Um, you mentioned some of the different kind of techniques, you know, the technique changes based off of how the current's doing, you know, a lot, there'll be times where I'll, I'll cast it out way behind me. Cause I know the current's swinging a different way and I'll just kind of walk the beach and just pop it back to me and just walk it, you know, walk it to where it swings on the, on the inside. So not the lip, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fish, I guess, parallel to the beach, not, not straight in and out. So I'll fish, I'll, I'll even wait out and fish parallel to the beach because sometimes they're sitting four or five feet off the lip, just waiting for something to wash back over them. So you can hit some of those fish. And yeah, I mean, it, it really is. The biggest thing is positioning yourself with the current and the wind to be able to get your jig down to the bottom. Now, do you have like a specific brand of jig heads you like or a style? Cause you know, every jig head's different. Some are slow, some have low curves, some have eyes. Like yeah, anything so, in particular that's been working really well for you? Yeah, so uh, obviously it's it's no secret. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm on Team Eye Strike. You know, it's the one fishing company that uh, I support. They're the, they're the small guys. They do it. They do it right. They have a lot of good initiatives for uh, you know the 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 the, the health of our fisheries. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, man, their jig heads are just killer, man. So the redfish eye, an eighth ounce in eighth ounce and quarter ounce is like literally the perfect jig head size for that jerk shad. And if you, if you, if you put a, and I like to line them up, you know, on the outside of the the shad to see where the hook point will come out, but the hook point comes out perfectly every time at that little emblem, you know, the, the trademark emblem. And that's where that's the perfect middle where you want it to come out to where that lure balances. So it lines up perfectly. It's not too short of a shank because We've all done it. I don't know if you fished with flounder, fish for flounder, and you feel like you got the shortest shank in the world and you got a lot of bait in the back and you're getting mm-hmm. short, strikes. short strikes everywhere. Very rarely. I mean, you've seen some of these hook sets I'm showing you pictures of. The head's the only thing poking out of these fish's mouth. I'm not missing, missing fish with these jig heads. There's going to be a lot of different people that'll say a lot of different things, but I'll say the eye strike jig head, the, the red fish eye and eighth ounce and quarter ounce lines up amazingly with the uh jerk shads um if you downsize your bait to the five inch jerk shad which there's a time and place for that too you know if if you find that the fish are in smaller baits it's always good to have a pack or two of those behind the eye strike swim bait eye is a three-aught hook so it's a little bit shorter shank and it matches up with that five inch perfectly um the good news is you can start finding these in stores unless you go on, on the website but um, Dix carries the three packs of the eye strike uh, swim bait eyes under the Z-Man badging. Um, they have a uh, relationship. And then you can find some of the other uh, bigger swim bait eyes too, like the quarter ounce and all. But they have the, the three-aught hook that matches up good with the five-inch and then the redfish eyes. And I, I'm a pearl guy. A lot of guys, they have different colored eyes. I don't really worry about the eye color too much. I like pearl and I call it a day. I don't I don't get into the chartreuses and the glows and the reds and the golds. Yeah. I'm Pearl. Call it a day. But if you hop on iStrike, you can get all these jigs in bulk order for a really good deal. Man. That actually I, is, it is a great deal. We, I, I take advantage of it myself. But yeah, I mean, you if you fish a lot of sticky structure, sometimes you can go and, and if there's blue fish around or other fish that are biting you off. You know, you can go through a number of these jig heads and baits in a day. So it's always good to carry a little extra. Um, that that's another thing he's having the right amount of bait with you because there's nothing worse than walking 14 miles of beach and having to walk walk seven miles of it and walk seven miles to get back and get get more bait out of the car it's the worst exactly so <laughs> last but not least 
what's your plastics, your go-tos, and what are some of your favorite colors? All right. So I, I really have two favorite colors. It's the, I, I fish almost, and I've done well on some of the Z-Man products too. Uh, just not, I feel like gulp is probably three or four to one easily. Um, if I'm in a crazy hot bite, that's when I'll start throwing on the Z-Man stuff and start playing around and seeing if I can like get a little something different out of it. But as far as the jerk shads go, this is notwithstanding this seven inch jerk shad that I just picked up. It might be my new favorite because it might call out all the small fish, which doesn't matter to me, but I'm trying to break my PB this year. So my PB sure, if anybody's wondering, my PB sure flounder twice, once in Avalon, New Jersey, once in Ocean City, Maryland, same year, 2018, both on the bank. They were both 26 and a half inches, both about six and a half pounds. So that's the mark I've been trying to beat for four years now. But um, rewinding a little bit, quarter ounce jig heads is my go-to. I always have a pocket full of those. And then the jerk shads, it's going to be pink shine, and it's going to be the chartreuse white pepper. Chartreuse white pepper. Those are my, those are my two favorite colors. Now, I've caught them on all the colors. I still don't understand the people that fish nuclear chicken. It doesn't make sense to me. I know Johnny catches them on nuclear chicken. He does. I've never caught a fish on nuclear chicken. So I will glad if somebody loves nuclear chicken out there, I gladly trade out a few packs of nuclear chicken for pink shine. But no, uh, pink shine produces every place I've fished it. Um, the chartreuse white pepper. I like that one really when the water's a little dirty because it, it like sticks out like a sore thumb. You got that white in the chartreuse. You can see it really well. Um, pink shine is amazing on crystal clear water. Like it's just, it's, it's disgusting. Like you can watch these fish follow it all the way in. Um, and I, I can tell you that, that, that color works from Sandy hook all the way down through Corson's inlet. And even in Wildwood, I, I've, I've caught keepers on all of them, all, all, all those cities. It's not, it's really just about putting the time in, but pink shine, number one, chartreuse, uh, pep, white pepper, number two, and then probably white would be number three, I would say. Cool. Now, I know Goldberry has an attractant in it, but uh, do you add any additional attractant? Uh, not not to gulp. Um, I don't ever, I just fish it until it's absolutely destroyed, and then I, I call it a day. I don't re-dip or do any of that kind of stuff. I know a lot of people re-dip. Um, now, if I'm fishing Z-Man products, Procure baits, uh, Procure scents are, are pretty incredible. Um, the Menhaden, the Menhaden, the... Um, shrimp and the mullet are the three scents that i always have on hand and that goes from here south and the, i'll tell you what man these these guys down south swear by the mullet scent on everything so i could see it happening now do you think this technique will work on other bait types like say um z-man's or like uh northeast jig company you know jigco that yeah, you think I mean, this technique will work with it even though like Jerk Shads has that weird flutter that's kind of like the key to this whole thing. You know, it, it it's hard to say. You, once you have success with something, you you have a hard time breaking away from mm -hmm. it. So I always want to test the theory like, okay, this is working like this. How about this? But you also have to understand, like, if you're walking miles of beaches, you can only carry so much stuff with yeah. you. So are you taking chances there? Or are you going to take chances someplace else? probably not going to take chances there. You're going to go with what you know is work, what's yep. working. So I've seen where Mark and Roger have the same kind of success with Kytex. So I'm sure 
and actually some of their bigger fish are generally caught on Kitex beachfront when that when the fish move out front. So I would say that it really goes down to how much confidence you have in what you're fishing. Obviously, I'm confident in that gulp. I think it'll be, I think it'll, for whatever reason, our northern fish just love it. But um, yeah, I, I, I've had success with some of the, the gulp jerk shads, but not at the same level as the, the, the gulp stuff. It's just, I, I don't know why. Confidence, right? Everything, everything about fishing is all about confidence. Everyone has okay. their confident lures. You know, as soon as you open your bag, you know what you're grabbing first. Same with me. You know, as soon as I hit hit the beach or I hit a pot of school fish, like I know what I'm reaching for in my yeah. bag first. It's just something where, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll as surf fishermen, we'll bring a whole surf bag, like 20, 20 lures in there, right? But technically, there's only four in there or five in there that we actually do throw. Yeah. So the, the rest are just for like, just in case. Yeah. There's actually, I know. In my early days, I brought it. I brought probably more just in case stuff than stuff I was actually using. It's because mm -hmm. you never, you never want to be without what's what they're being called on. But exactly. Really, but but really, what it comes down to is you've got to make whatever you have work. Like going back to Chris, I mean, how many times did you see one of his videos where he's pulling a, a bag of gulp with jig heads inside the bag of gulp out of his pocket, and that's what he's carrying? Yeah, with that's him. it. He has a hoodie, yeah. a little bag in there with like maybe three jig heads and his rod and rail, and that's it. That's all he has. He's fishing like a homeless man. You, you got to make it work. I mean, you got to really make it work. If that's all you're bringing, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find a way to catch fish on that. Yeah, Chris is one of those guys. I would call him like the minimalist fisher. Yeah, like does, doesn't that's it? He'll go out he'll go out fish an inlet and he'll have a book bag, a small box with like maybe four plugs in there. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing the Sandy hook thing so much now and uh, some of these beach things so much that I'll get, I got like a fan, like a fishing fanny pack. It's like a tactical fanny pack and I can fit <laughs> a tactical fit my, fanny pack. I can fit my jig heads in there. I can fit my leader in there. I can fit my, all my, my, I can fit my um, my scissors and my pliers and a couple bags of gulp. So if I'm not keeping fish, like I, I, what more do you need, man? It's yeah. all right there. Yeah, pretty much. That's all. But yeah, I mean, like, so the the in wrapping, I, I'm sure we're gonna wrap this up. But in wrapping this up, the biggest thing I can say is, when you get down to the water, just sit there and take it in. See what the current's doing. See where you see the darker patches of water. Look for bait. All those things are gonna be factors in what you're doing. Um, so if you start I, I see the, the birds diving on pods of bait all the time when I'm fishing, like right in front of me. So guess what, the, guess what's going on underneath of that? There's probably fish feeding on those same pods of bait below it. So mm -hmm. the, the, the water is going to tell you where to fish it. You just got to be paying attention. All right. All right. So this next, this next area we want to discuss, I'm literally going to hand it over to Dan. Cause now if you want to implement this technique, this is where you guys want to pay close attention. Um, like I said, Dan's going to go into the best detail he can on this technique. So it's pretty much, I'm going to hand it over to him and let him go with it. If I have anything important I want to ask about it, I'm going to, I'm just going to cut right in and ask him, but he's going to explain in detail the whole actual technique of this, Jake. So as I mentioned earlier, I, I do a lot of fan casting. So I, I like to actually start out um, in front of me. Like I start out shallow and work my way out because a lot of times if you work your way out, you may run into the fish where they're feeding at. Um, as opposed to if they're not right where, where you're at. Like if you find a patch of fish right there, then you keep fishing them. But I work inside out. Um, and then I kind of I tackle it the other way too. So 
I, I kind of see how the tide is swinging. And then I'll, I'll like, if I'm standing looking at the, at the ocean, straight at the ocean, I might toss, you know, we'll call this uh, nine o'clock, you know, we'll call, I'll toss nine o'clock. And then I'm just working it back, you know, with, with the waves rolling. And it's really just, I'm, I toss it out. I, I wait for contact on the, on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that magical eight to 10 seconds because that gives me enough idea of how deep the water is. Um, obviously that changes depending on current, but basically I'll reel up all the slack lines. Sometimes there'll be a fish right there. Like literally uh, the last time I was out, every time I would wait out to, I don't know, just at my, at my waist level and cast literally as far as I could. And this goes against what I say I, I, I was doing, but I was finding fish. So I was casting literally as far as I could. By the time I was reeling up the slack line, I was setting a hook on a fish every time. So I found that hole of fish. So it's not, it's not always one thing's going to happen. It's not always going to be cut and dry. You got to, sometimes you just got to spend some time breaking down the water, but I, I, I make contact and I make sure I stay within contact at the bottom. So I'll do two quick jigs and then I do like a drag back and they call this the pendulum. I, I, I drag the, the lure back on the bottom. So once I've done those two popping jigs, I let it settle and I'll drag it back to me almost with the rod tip going straight up and down. And then I, I put the rod tip down real up. A lot of times there's a fish there. If there's not a fish there, I'll do another pop and keep continuing that motion. It's really, it really is predicated uh, on how quick that motion based off the current. If, if you have light current, you want to be more exaggerated because you want that bait to flutter around in those zones where the fish might be feeding longer. So um, you don't want to be too quick. I, you know, I, I've been teaching my son this, and I think the biggest thing that, that he wants to do is he, he feels the bottom and then he just immediately starts jigging. Sometimes you feel the bottom and you just want to kind of maneuver it around a little bit, wiggle it around, then do a jig. Because sometimes you, you've, you've caught a fish's attention, but just not quite. And they're right there just sitting waiting to pounce. So, you know, it's, there's, no, there's no science to it uh, as far as the motion that you're using, just whatever feels comfortable to you. I, but I do the two pop and then the, the pull, pull method where it's like a pendulum method. So I'm thinking, I'm, like, I'm imagining what the jig is actually doing on the bottom. So your first cast initially lands out and then you wait 10 to second. So now it, it contacts the bottom, right? So you're doing two quick pops now as you do that two quick pops so i'm your 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 jerk shads it's coming up off the bottom maybe maybe a foot maybe two foot right depending whatever how your pop is now do you let it that and then you let it drop right that's Mm -hmm. when you let drop back to the bottom now you as it's dropping do you follow with the rod tip to have contact all the time as it's dropping i'm starting to reel up the line that's loose there from that second that second pop Mm-hmm. So I constantly have the feel of the jig. So I'll feel when it, when it hits back again. Okay. I'm not, I'm not reeling heavy. I'm just reeling enough so I can feel contact. So you can feel contact. And then as it, and then, so you're actually, you're, you're, you're following the jig as it's on the way down. And then mm-hmm. when it hits bottom again, do you drag it? That, is this where the drag portion comes in? Yep. So okay. once it's hit, once it's hit bottom on that second, and sometimes I'll just throw in a real exaggerated pop in there right then there. Like yeah. if there, if there's current, if there's, let's say we're getting close to slack tide and the current's really slowing down. I'm doing everything I can to draw attention to my bait. So, you know, if I, if I feel like there's not enough movement and, and as flounder fishermen, we all know we want some movement, you know, whether it's a drift or whatever, you know, when I'm on my kayak, the perfect drift for me is somewhere between 0.8 and 1.2 miles per hour, something like that. 
So you got to think in the terms of how fast your jig is traveling when you're on foot, it's going to be a lot slower than that. So you want to be doing things that are going to be drawing attention to, because we've all seen the other underwater video of how far these fish will chase a bait mm -hmm. before they touch it. Yep. So you want to be just doing these erratic movements and then just letting it sit, man. Just let it sit, erratic movement, let it sit for a second. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to sit for long. Just enough so the fish can get its eye on it, and then you take it away to right, right away from them, right away. So there's, I mean, there's in, in reality, there's no really perfect technique for this. It's kind of something you got to figure out on your own. Yeah, what you're because comfortable doing because it's dependent on the current, really. Yep. I mean, if if it's a stronger current, then you you might not be able to get away with that swing that swing part at the end of the pops. You might just have the pop and just you know kind of drag it a little bit and then pop mm -hmm. up again. You know, it just really depends on how much that water's moving. I, ideally, if you could get on a slower tide and really just work it, uh, it it's great. But ocean side, um, there's there's so many variables, man. You could have other fish that you're contending with. Um, you know, we all know the sea robin, haven. Um, so there, there's other variables. Those fish could be sitting all at the same level, and they generally do. Um, so you want to get it beyond them and, and in front of them, and then you're just popping over that. It's... I, I could, I could, I could teach a class on it. I think. I mean, you never know what you, anything could be down in that trough. Yeah. You know, they're like right, even right now, bass are everywhere on the trough right now. They're feeding on sand, you know, they're feeding on freaking, um, sand fleas by, sand by, by the thousands. Yeah. They're feeding on sand fleas and <clears> like <throat> there's stargazers, there's sea robins. There's all sorts of stuff in that trough. You never know. But, but generally speaking, I would say my, my ocean and Bay beach motion is the same. It's, it's mm -hmm. that two pops, two or three pops, let it settle and then get right back to it. And while you're letting it settle, you're reeling up any extra line. So you have the yeah. sensitivity to feel the bite right. that if you do that, no matter where you're at fishing that technique, and if that's the right technique to fish where you're at, yeah. that'll, that'll produce bites. I mean, my son was getting bites doing and he's seven. So it's, it's not rocket scientists. It's not rocket science. It's just a matter of being in the right place and kind of reading your surroundings and knowing, like, for example, I, I, this is a good example. The other day, me and my buddy, Alex, we were out fishing and I found this spot where I came to a point and I waded out to this point, but I had water coming up from my left and water coming up from my right. So that made me think, okay, well, immediately out in front of me, as far as I can go, that that's all going to come to a head. And there might be bait sitting there that's disoriented because it's coming from water, washing it all into the spot. What do you know? I, I pop like a 20 inch flounder right there. So, you know, a lot of times once you figure this out, it, it really becomes, it, it, I hate to say it, I'm not being cocky, but it becomes easy. Like the fish will be where you expect them to be most of the time. Once you figure this out. And it's not even good yet. I mean, I've, I've caught 38 legal, legal fish so far this year. And it's, it's not even prime time. You know, it's only going to get that beachfront bite uh, all, all up and down the coast is going to start getting really good. July is the month. It's the month by all means. It's the month. So if you want to get out and learn this technique, this is the time. Get out in Corson's Inlet if you're down south. Get out, you know, Towson's Inlet if you're down south. Some of these places that have that pronounced beach lip, you can fish this technique there and catch fish. I've done it. All right. Do you think this technique's a lot different than saying throwing a single bucktail? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is it because because of how light it is and the way the flutter yeah, because, works? Yeah, because it's it's more it's more finesse. I mean, you know that that bucktail, even the lighter ones, it's going to come to a more of a thump when it hits on the bottom. 
Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing? Well, it's a good thing if you're trying to attract fish from further away. Sure. But I've, I've tried with bucktails. I've never been able to, to do this kind of thing with bucktails. It's just really, I think it's the, the bait fish imitation. If you've been doing this long enough, you'll see the sand eels right in the wash all the time. You'll see yeah. the, you know, the, the bay anchovies, you'll see the glass minnows. These jerk shads look like all of that. Like, I think it just comes down to this, this mimics more bait pro- profiles that these fish are feeding on than anything else. That's why early season, um, you, you could be fishing for like weak fish on shedder crabs and you'll get fluke all day long catching, you know, a lot of people do that. They'll catch fluke early season because these fish are, they're transitioning early season from, you know, your crustacean baits to once it gets really good, they're all on like minnows and other fish, other small fish, whether it be, you know, spot or small weak fish or anything else, mullet. So the, the jerk shad's really, the second half of the season is like the money season for that jerk shad bite because it mimics a lot of these baits you'll run into out there on the ocean front. Now, one other thing, do you think this technique would work from a boat or a kayak? Have you tried it? Um, so it's, it's, it's harder. It's harder because not only are you trying to get the finesse factor of working the lure properly, but you're also trying to keep yourself positioned if you're in a kayak. So yes, it does work. Um, but you're often tossing towards the bank as opposed to, you know, just bottom dropping with this kind of technique. It's not, it's not something where you're, it's not, it's not optimal to just be, you know, jigging straight up and down for this kind of fishing. It really isn't. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I know we have an acquaintance, uh, we have an acquaintance like Johnny and long, They've been doing it really well off of that little, their little boats, yeah. you know, right? And but they they've been using jerk shads too. Yeah. I um, mean, I guess it's, I guess it comes to a point like if if you do it long enough, you'll figure out how to use it effectively. Yeah. I mean, so this isn't me saying that you can't catch fish that way. Yeah. I mean, it's still going to look like a, a a bait, but I I my I guess my personal opinion is that when you're vertical jigging, you're going to get more action out of a curly tail or out of like a swimming mullet. That's going to attract a fish. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there's not fish that are feeding on those jerk shads when you're, you're vertically jigging them. That's not, that's not the case, but I guess it's more my opinion more so than anything that it it seems like the, the other baits would work better vertically, but who am I, you know, I mean, um, they're doing it. Then, then that's awesome. Right. But then you also have almost, 40 keepers off the beach and they're not they're not on the beach so it's kind of like you know you've done it you've caught it off the beach you don't you haven't put that much kayak time this year so how do you know if it doesn't work because you've never because you're you're busy catching you're busy slaying fish on the beach or why would you jump in a kayak it's just it's too much fun until the walk back man (laughs) that's what it comes out i I feel you man walk back is oh my god like oh my god you just you just hope when you set out on that journey in the beginning that it's going to be worth the, the walk back. Right. That, that, that walk back would probably be a lot worse without a single fish. It, it, and I've done it. I've done it, man. And I, I got to say, I, I feel, I feel I've gotten to the point now where I won't skunk. I can't say I'll sit here and catch quality fish every time, but I've gotten to the point where I, you know, I have all my gear dialed in. I have the science behind it dialed in like the days that I want to go target these fish I have in my head, like I, how that should work. Mm-hmm. 
Well, will there be variables? Absolutely. There's always going to be variables, but I feel like now I have the information that I've gathered over the last four years that I can go out and catch my, my three fish if I want to. And I've kept some fish lately simply because I'm, you know, I'm feeding my family and my, my two sister-in-law's families and stuff. And, you know, it's, it, it, I, I personally like the new slot limit. I've, I've, we've talked about that on here. Uh, yep. ad, a couple ad, times, Chuck. A couple times. And, you know, we've had our opinion asked and I, I like it personally for me, you know, my buddy Alex, who I was fishing with the other day, we were having this conversation about the slot limit. And he goes, why do you like it? I said, well, because honestly, it, I still can feed my family on a 17 inch fish. That's what it comes down to. One mm -hmm. 17 inch fish is one meal. So that's why I like it. It doesn't, I don't need two fish to feed my family. So when it gets to the point where Luke is eating more than that little belly side, then I have to figure something out at that point. But, but at this point, you know, it still feeds my family. So I don't need more. I, I never will be the guy that, that, that will want to take more than I, I need. That's not who I am. And totally you know, this, this technique, I feel like I can go out and have flounder almost whenever I want it. So I don't take advantage of it. I like to yeah. go out and fun fish for them. You know, I, I, I've been trying to teach other people this technique. I, I you know it's, it's, it's fun, man. It's, and as we've talked about on here so many times, like teaching other people has become, you know, the it's, value for us. It's yeah, become, it's, it's pretty much that's what, yeah, pretty much that's it. We enjoy yeah. watching people catch fish nowadays. When you get to a point where you caught enough or you feel like you caught enough and then it's just now it's just it's a reverse role because now you just enjoy watching people catch fish. Yeah. And when you when you had the idea of doing this, this, uh, this episode, I'm like, it's just me, but. But no, I mean, like I, I we're, we're very passionate now about trying to help other people do mm -hmm. what we're doing. I, and listen, I will never sit here and say I'm the best at the single jig, but I, I just have some some data to back up that I'm pretty good at it at least. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool. All right. So what are your rest of your plans for this season and any big goals you're trying to hit? You always have goals. See, well, I, we, I, I'm not I'm a fisherman without goals. I just I just fish. But well, we, you, you always have a plan. I'm, I'm just driven by the unknown, I guess, is the biggest thing. But are we talking about flounder-related goals or just in general? Just in general, your fishing season goals this year. Any, well, any big plans for the rest of the season? And are you trying to hit some really big goals or even, yeah. add, or even add new species? Because you, you are the man of multi-species. You always like to add random, like, like freaking things in there. I do have some, some goals for this year. Hopefully, I'll be knocking some of them out. Um, as far as we'll keep it to the topic on hand. I'm trying to yeah. catch 200, uh, legal fish on foot this year. That's okay. my goal, 200. So, uh, I think I'm at five outings and I have 38. So that's not a bad, that's bad a good ratio. That's a good ratio. It's a good start. And I, I, I think it's only going to get better, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just little goals I set for myself. That's one of them. I want to break my flounder shore PB. Well, it's my personal best. I mean, I feel like I've caught enough flounder. I gotta, I gotta catch a nice one eventually. Yeah, but. you catch, you catch enough. Now you're gonna have to go for that doormat. <laughs> I want to catch have... a nice flounder. Yeah. Um, you know, I have some other big time goals like Cobia this year is is on the list. Uh, Bull Reds is on the list. Um, Spade Fish is another one on the list, and then a couple other things. Triggers. Um, tri <laughs> triggers is going to happen. Trust me. I, I have too many people rooting for me on this one. Too many people. I think we're all I, rooting for you to get one. I, I have. I have. Uh, I have one of our one of our listeners who I, I talk to a lot. He's like, uh, I'm going to go scout some uh, some areas. One of my buddies just had a, a big trigger day over there. We're, we're going to get you out there. I'm like, this is amazing. Everybody's like, like the uh, the the universe is pulling together for me to catch my trigger fish. 
but yeah, so Triggerfish, obviously that, that one will carry over indefinitely till it happens. Um, but yeah, I have, uh, the, you know, the Cobia, I think will happen. We had Jason, uh, on a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to yeah. be down with him in a couple of weeks and he's been absolutely crushing big fish. It's amazing. I, I love seeing it. So he's, uh, if you haven't followed him, here we go fishing. He's amazing. Um, I'll be linking up with him probably two weeks from now, three weeks from now, three weeks from two, two weeks from this weekend, Cobia, Bull Reds and some other stuff. And we, we just do some crazy things when we get together. So who knows what it'll turn into. Um, beyond that, um, Northern Pike is on the list for the fall. Um, I also have some other, I, I might get into some salmon, some salmon trips and some other, some other things, but yeah, I have I have uh, plenty of goals on the docket. Sounds good to me, man. My only goal is just to get the boat in the water. I haven't you even got the boat in the water, man. I haven't even done. Yo, work workload has been killing me. I've been firing DJs left and right, and now I have to take on the workload because I can't find anybody to replace them. Man, it's a hassle. I thought you were just really becoming like a mainstay on the Rockfish Smarty. I I thought maybe your your boat was going to go into retirement. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's wrap up this show let let even the, the listeners probably already know where to find you but let's uh let's see your social media let people find you and find out also find us let's just wrap this show up yeah man so uh, i'm on i'm on instagram dman carry 18 we are also on instagram as a as a whole tide underscore chasers um you can find us on tide chasers podcast on facebook uh we're on all those main podcast platforms whether it be iHeartRadio. I had somebody ask me today, you guys are on iHeartRadio? Yeah, we're on iHeartRadio too. Uh, Pandora, we're on Spotify, Waypoint TV. We're on them all. Just whatever suits your, your fancy to, to tune into us. We, we love it. So, um, But as far as I go, man, I, I'm, I'm just on uh, Instagram. I don't have any of the other fancy pages. So, <laughs> Who needs fancy pages? We just need good fish. Well, there you go, guys. We wrapped up another episode. You're going to have to listen to this episode two or three more times to get this technique down. Um, and if you have any questions about this technique, feel free to reach out to Dan. He doesn't bite. He's not that mean. Yeah. Right, so. I've taken a few people out to, to fish like this. So, I mean, yeah. if, if you, you, the, the listeners know who they are, the ones that uh, I would fish with. And then obviously yeah. if there's anybody else that wants to kind of, to kind of get out there, I, Listen, I'm not going to charge you to fish with you or anything like that. It, it's just for fun. So I, yep. the bonus is we're making, we're making new friends and, and uh, we're just, we're teaching. And that, that's, that's what it's come to for us at this point in our lives. So I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to, to share whatever knowledge I have. And, and I know Quaz the same way. So whether it be this topic or any other topic, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Yeah, either one of us, man. If I don't know the questions or answers to any of your questions, I'm going to send it over to Dan. And vice versa. All right, cool, guys. Once again, thank you for listening to another episode of Tight Chasers Podcast. And uh, besides that, get out there, catch fish, and keep those lines tight. Tight lines, everybody.